again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I am joined by Will Murden. How is it going tonight, Will? It is a sad day, my friend. A sad, sad day indeed. Uh, let's let's not get too carried away with the sads just yet. There are some positive things around college football. Well, positive things is probably pay, playing it a little fast and loose, but you know, there's not terrible things. Not terrible things, yeah. So uh, we will touch on a whole bunch of stuff today, and I, and I feel like we're coming in a little loose tonight. We don't have a real structure. I mean, unlike our other episodes, which are incredibly structured. Just by the book, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Well oiled uh, machine that we are. Exactly. But tonight we are going to be talking about uh, a whole bunch of different stuff around college football. There has been some massive news overnight, uh, which has been reported about on Twitter. If you're a college football fan, you'd certainly know that. If you're not, uh, that news will be alarming, disturbing potentially in terms of season 2020, but we will touch on that later. We also want to talk a little bit of the structure of college football just to give people some insight before we look through the lens of what's happening right now and then we will go on and speculate around what that means for season 2020. Um, so there's a whole bunch of stuff that we need to get to, but firstly, I do not want to ignore the fact that the Tampa Bay Rays have, um, you know, evened a series with the with the New York Yankees and then gone on to be in uh, control of that series against the Boston Red Sox. So whilst we're a college football podcast, we are also dabbling our toes in the water of baseball. Baseball NBA. chat. Yeah, baseball. I don't really know much about baseball, but I, I, I like I enjoy it. I, and I feel like you would too because you could just drink yourself stupid and then you'd be like, yeah, someone threw a slider. Cool. That does sound like me. That sounds really good. And we are EPL guys now too. So both uh, following teams that were in the championship last year, both up to the EPL, we're EPL guys. I mean, you say following, but I mean, Clint Dempsey was like the star player at Fulham the last time I checked in. I don't know if that dude even still plays anymore, but he was a thing. I think like he's Bobby in an old, old man's Zamora. home. Was, hey? I think he's in an old man's home now. That That is going back yeah, a bit. Right. Exactly, exactly. So, um, okay, so before we get into the big news of this particular week, I'm feeling really good about today's show. I, I like, I, I'm actually, in a strange way, very excited about where we're heading. Uh, and we're going to get to that a little bit later on. Um, but firstly, I want to talk a little bit about the structure of college football. So, so apologies to everyone. Aaron wants to get through his nice little boring bit here. He's got all these teasers that he's been laying out for us I do. To, to get to. But before we do that, we're going to get a bit of a, a lesson in the structure of college football from Mr. It, Kemp himself. It's not about it being completely tedious and boring. But for our Australian listeners out there, I think it's really important to understand that college football is not set up like the AFL, the NBA, well, NBA is a little bit different, um, or the NFL, where they look for parity. They want, ideally, in in uh, the AFL here in Australia, ideally in the NFL, there's 32 teams in the NFL. They would like, in their perfect world, there would be one Super Bowl winner if you ran it for 32 years, each team would win a Super Bowl every year. That is yep. the structure that they believe in. Yep, and that's kind of guided by the salary cap, by the draft system. All of that is put in place to try and drive that parity. Exactly. Uh, college football doesn't exist in that same way, kind of like the EPL, um, but there's even more parity in EPL, and I don't really know why that is because they seem to just be able to like throw a checkbook at whatever they want to. Um, but I think the recruiting side of things probably has a bigger impact there. But um, you know, firstly, we need to understand that college football drives the entirety of the student athlete experience at at the college system. So, if you are an athlete in women's athletics, if you're a male rower, if you are a tennis player, your money and the funding that comes for your coaches, your uniforms, your travel for a lot of programs 
comes from one of two places. The first one is the football program because they are so, so massive in terms of their revenue. The second one is if you cannot provide from your football program a big enough uh, revenue and therefore money into other programs, you then need to rely on your academic student body as part of their tuition fees you, they would need to pay an amount that contributes towards athletics and certainly the football program. So when you're looking at schools like, I don't know, FAU or Arkansas State or, you know, whatever kind of, you know, those programs, New Mexico State, those guys cannot afford to be doling out huge amounts of money for their football program. They're not bringing in a whole lot of money they might get an attendance of you know 9000 a game that's not bringing in enough money to support uh, a million dollar coach plus facilities plus equipment etc you're about to jump in here will so yeah i'm just this. i'm just curious as to where where are we getting with this point what what are we getting I, I, I guess the point is like as we lead into this financial situation and this is the elephant in the room at the moment around college football is that for lots of sports and lots of academics it's easy to say like you know what, we can just postpone this. It's not a big deal because, you know, financially we're, we're stable. Financially, if we don't have a season, you know what, we can lay that off, which which we can afford to do if we look at, um, you know, not that it's social sport for us here in Australia, but certainly sport in Australia. Teams have just decided not to play. That's not going to bankrupt them completely. It's not going to completely upend them as a club um, to do that. Whereas in America, they need this revenue, they need this income from the football program to prop up not only their athletics department in its entirety, but in some cases, there's some money that's fed into the school itself, both directly and indirectly. So therefore, if football doesn't run, the school is in massive financial trouble. And this is the thing that hasn't been spoken about too much is the fact that in order for these schools to stay afloat due to their debt, due to their, you know, the money that they get paid elsewhere or where that money needs to go to, they have to run football. And if football doesn't run, that school potentially doesn't run. So whilst we are considering this through the lens of coronavirus and um, what's best for the health of the players and what's best for the health of the coaches and the spectators and all this sort of stuff, in lots of ways, the schools cannot care that much. They have to play the season. And if they don't, they are at huge risk of their football program folding. Furthermore, um, the, there's increased pressure uh, in the other um, sporting environments, in other disciplines, for that program to continue to exist as well. So I'm, um, you know, obviously I could go into far more detail about programs and this sort of this sort of thing, but it's really important to understand that these colleges and these sporting programs lean so heavily on the football program that if they don't go, then the school doesn't go. Yeah, and I mean, I, I would, I, I hear your point, but I do disagree with some of what you said around here in Australia. We saw it with the AFL. We saw it with the NRL. Those programs, when they weren't playing, had to lay off up to 60% of their staff who, that's their job. That's the, that's how they were earning money and they were no longer employed by the club during that time. They're still operating at a reduced capacity now at, the, at both of those levels. The NRL was, you know, every week I was reading a different report that they might be folding. They could be going bankrupt. They could be done. So I think... To say it wasn't affecting here is probably not quite on the money, but you're spot on in the fact that it's going to have a massive impact on how some of these schools operate. And I think some of it is a bit of hyperbole about when they talk it up in saying, you know, oh, you know, without the money from football, we won't be able to do anything. I think some of that is talked up a little bit. There's certainly going to be an impact. There's certainly certainly going to be people that they lay off. There's going to be salary cuts to professors and, and all of that sort of stuff to stay afloat. But that's not just the college football world. That's most professional businesses that are impacted by this at the moment are, are having to do this in some form of another. So 
we kind of knew that was on the cards without playing anything at all is really the worst case scenario because there's nothing coming in. Even if we do see some of these conferences getting up, you're not going to have the gate tickets that you had previously. Like yeah. that, that that's not going to happen. There's there's going to be other restrictions in place that prevent these funds from coming in. So you make a very good point about these dollars here. But I, I guess the I guess the issue for me is that education has been insulated against. It's not whilst it has business elements and business models to it, education is such a human endeavor that it should be insulated against the business side of existence. And it always has been. However, in this day and age, that's not the case. And this it is run as a big business. And with football not existing as the large, you know, all-encompassing arm of their financial income, if that doesn't go, then these programs, not only from a football sense, not only from an athletic sense, but also from an educational sense, are putting themselves at extreme risk. But they need to be taking a hit from attendances as well. Like, college over in the States is not cheap. And, no. you know, it's only a privileged few who get that scholarship. The rest are, are paying their way. And if you are paying, it, I can only imagine it's incredibly difficult to find a retail job in the States at the moment. Like, there, there's all of that is being impacted. So if you're not getting a job there, then how are you funding it yourself? If, you know, I, 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 unemployment is, is spiking all across the world. If your folks were paying for your degree and now no longer have a job maybe that's something that they're not going to be able to afford to do anymore so i expect a decrease in uh enrollees across the board and then you know that's more off the bottom line so again and what does this mean for college football well you can argue that you know a a year-long scholarship at a at a college a div one college could be somewhere but in the vicinity of 40 grand to 65 75 85 thousand dollars per year for that particular athlete and if all those numbers are down if the revenue's not there for college football how do they afford these scholarships outside of boosters and stuff like that which also are in financial trouble so i i guess you know all i wanted to do was introduce this notion that that college football is more a business than it would uh hope to be i think and that as a result of this, this season is not well insulated against. And for most businesses, you know, this whole pandemic isn't well insulated against, but college football and most professional sports exist on the margins. And with a season being taken away that they couldn't predict, there's no way to insulate against that. And that is the massive concern. Okay, well, thank you for the lesson, Mr. Kemp. Okay, the second thing I would like to talk about is the fact that college football is massively decentralized. The AFL exists here in Australia. The NBA exists. The NFL exists. All these things exist to not police, but certainly oversee the existence of their sport. College football doesn't really have that. It's got the NCAA, but let's be real here. The power doesn't sit with them. They're a non-for-profit organization. The power sits with the conferences themselves, uh, of which the biggest um, the biggest spenders and the biggest earners are going to have the most power. So you're looking at the SEC, you're looking at the Big 12 probably, and the ACC as well, which we're going to talk about later, but that's a reflection of where we're at in the Big 10 also. Um, but... This decentralization has caused this real power struggle around college football. And my argument here is, and and tell me what you think, but college football to me has outgrown its very ancient roots, which was a whole bunch of punters going to school, getting an education. And you know what? We're going to hit some people on the weekend on the side, but we represent our school proudly. And whatever happens, happens. All of a sudden, college football has overtaken that and they really need something to oversee and manage the players, the coaches, the programs themselves. And that isn't in existence at the moment. And it's causing some fractures and some friction around what's acceptable, what's not, what are we doing, what are they doing, how are they doing it. And there's there's certainly some issues here arising. Yeah, there's it's unprecedented to what we've seen but i've been reading a lot of reports of people talking about lack of leadership and when they say that they're not talking specifics they're talking college football in a general there doesn't seem to be that 
that leader, the the commissioner of the league, or or whatever it is, the the overarching body, it, it it's just not there. And then all of the conferences, as a result, are looking out for their own best interests or what they believe their own best interests to be. So a lot of what you hear coming out of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten is their priority is the student athletes' health, and and that's across the board. I think most are saying that, and and they're saying that's kind of the driving factor for it. We both know that there's a lot more that's going into it behind the scenes than, than just solely that. But it is led us to this position where we have each individual conference making their decision. And it's a very political game here around who makes a call when, the timing of things, uh, what what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing, trying to align themselves with others so that the perception is there, be it for future recruiting, be it for whatever. There's all this sort of movement happening at the moment that's been quite interesting to follow. But at the end and of the day... It feels like, like, pardon my modern history background, but it feels like a little bit like Europe pre world war one where there was all these bargaining going on there's a lot of discussion about what's happening what's not going on like there's this arms race to to reach those you know rather than um physical geography and land as it was in you know the, at the turn of the century it's now the the dollars that are involved but it it feels like there's this lack of understanding that is causing all these different opinions to be thrown out and i've got no doubt that the phones are running hot between teams between athletic directors between conferences and commissioners to try and get some sort of parity consistency something going on where they can invite some conversation about what that's what's going on on top of that you've got this um these two kind of movements occurring at the moment around college football and it's the you know, over on the West Coast, which is far more progressive around California is, is the hub for that. Um, but they're talking about the fact that they want to have more rights as players. They want to be treated with greater respect, which we spoke about in the last episode. And then against that, you've kind of got this other view about, you know, exactly what's going on and the fact that, that teams want to play. And I've made this sound like these are two opposing ideologies when they're actually not. Um, you've got a group in, in the West, around the Mountain West and the Pac-12 who w- believe that they want greater representation as a playing group. And then on the other side of the, not just the country, but in various areas, there are a bunch of players that are just like, we want to play. We want to play because we love playing the game of football. We want to play because if the season doesn't go ahead, I go back to my particular hometown which isn't particularly a positive environment for me so you know your take on the pac-12 move i say the pac-12 it's not just the pac-12 but the player movement um in terms of is that a positive is this kind of group um looking to not not gain uh you know representation necessarily it's not a it's not like the players union which occurs in professional sports but something of a similar line is that valuable in college football does it have a place and and should student athletes be encouraged to pursue that i think we're certainly getting to a point where it makes sense like there's there's so much money at play here there's so many moving pieces that it it makes sense that they are collectively represented by someone something something happening there and and that they have an opportunity to be able to pull thoughts together across a really really wide group of individuals and raise issues that they have and, and, and it's not specifically just saying you know we want to be able to make money or we want this or whatever it is but at least take it all together and then understand across the board where, where it is so it's not just kind of like the noisy minority that we often seem to service in society in general I think if if they were to do this okay. yeah, I, but I, I think there is a right way of going about it and I, and I think the, the opportunity for college athletes to be able to put together a larger group for to be able to talk about the things that matter to them, to, to raise the issues and concerns that they have that matter to them and get that wide spectrum of thoughts and, and kind of move forward with that and try and try and put those sorts of ideas forward and, and try and get change through that, I think is a positive thing. 
But so it's... talk to me about this, and I know the media is playing this up as a as an opposite side of the same coin, with Trevor Lawrence coming out particularly strongly talking about the fact that he wants to play, and that playing football for him is something that he loves doing, uh, regardless of the environment, the coronavirus, or or fear of injury or whatever. This guy is probably the number one pick, and he said he wants to come back and play because he loves the game. Um, so again, whilst the media has bigged up the fact that he has become the 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 horn for this particular movement, there is this big we want to play. I think is it hashtag we want to play. We yeah, you got it. We, You're into it. Something. Um, so these guys are in a situation where they want to get out on the football field again, not because they see the money side of it, not because they you know want the other stuff, the other benefits that go along with college football. But this is the nice thing I think about it is that these kids want to play because they love the game. And I think that's something that we lose sight of around college football. Whilst again, like I said, the media has big this up as two sides of the opposite, uh, sorry, two sides of the same coin. To me, it's not. It's a situation where these guys just want to play football. It's got nothing to do with coronavirus. It's got nothing to do with player empowerment. It's just got to do with the fact that you know that there's there's risks in everything you do in life, and football is just one of those. So get us out there and let us let us zip that ball around. I I think what you're talking about there certainly aligns to the we want to play movement. Uh, I'm not so sure on the other side of the we are united or whatever it is. They agree they're not they're certainly not in contrast of one another. They're kind of working in similar directions just more on separate topics uh if if that big beautiful man uh trevor lawrence is able to save any form of college football this year i might get a big tattoo of him on my back or something like he's doing his best messiah effort out there at the moment and and it's brilliant how much uh he's being able to generate in terms of that positivity that we hear that Everyone has been so concerned about all the negatives associated with this. Uh, they, they talk about, you know, oh, it's, it's only about money. There's all these health risks. Rah, 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 rah. And he's really put the spotlight on the fact that these guys are more likely than not going to be in a better situation if they're at the universities and playing football than they would be if they weren't. If they're forced to go home and, and, you know, continue their studies but via remote learning, a lot of these home environments aren't like they are for you or I. Like, they, they, they don't have the comforts that a lot of people uh, enjoy and, and they've come from some difficult backgrounds that Leading when... The English chess is less than comfortable. Let's be <laughs> really clear on that. I think you're very lucky there, mate, and you'd be you'd be very lucky she uh, also never listens to the show. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, these walls are paper thin. Also, <laughs> <laughs> when when you're out and about in your home neighbourhood, there certainly is a, a hell of a lot of risk there. And I'm not saying that there isn't in the football program when you've got a hundred kids playing, travelling for games, all of that sort of stuff. But they are really getting top-of-the-line care in most instances here. They're going to be tested on a regular basis. There's going to be an incredible amount of hand sanitizer used across those <laughs> environments that you just you, you don't see in the regular everyday household or neighborhood where some of these kids are, are going to be but, but forced it, to hang it out. it also goes beyond that. Lorenzo Lingard, who former Miami Five Star, transferred to Florida, and he said like going home for him, there's nothing there for him now. He, it's a negative environment. He, you know, he feels the pressure from his community to act and behave in a certain way that he knows is not conducive to being a high-level football player. So that's not what he's about, and he doesn't want to go home, which I think he's been, you know, a little bit vocal in that as well. So I think, it, like, now that we've kind of spruced all this stuff, we've talked about the finances of college football, which you can deep dive in far more detail than what I've given you there. We've also talked about the fact that college football and the system that it exists in is very decentralized. It doesn't have necessarily a powerful governing body to manage players and coaches and, and football programs. 
And on top of that, you've also got um, a, a group of people that have been buoyed by this A situation, B, the political and social climate that we're in from the We Are United movement. We've got a group that give a lot of positivity to playing the game of football that they love. So with that all in mind, let us move forward, please, into the big news of the last kind of 24 hours. And that is the fact that the Big Ten and the Big 12 have not cancelled their seasons, but they have postponed their season and said that they will not be playing in the fall. So that means whatever games would have started end of April through to mid-September will not occur. And they will be looking... Um, at this stage, just postponed. Now, that what what that means moving forward is that the spring we don't know just yet, but that would be the logical conclusion. The MAC and the Mountain West have also, uh, well, the MAC were the first ones to go, but Mountain West have also followed suit. Um, so, what does this actually mean for college football outside of the obvious? Is this the first dominoes to fall in? You know, the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 are still hanging around and saying that we can get football going. I know Miami's still practicing. They had practice today. But what does this actually mean for college football? I know the SEC will play college football through a nuclear winter. They'll murder their own children. Um, there will be, you know, two atom bombs the size of what hit bloody Nagasaki um, and Hiroshima, and they'll still play football. But what does this mean for college football in 2020? I mean, you're dead right with the SEC. But before we go on, I think we, we really need to take a moment and... Appreciate Celine Dion. <laughs> appreciate that we have, have today have really lost something with both the Big Ten and Pac-12 deciding to not go ahead with full football. So you and I have been doing off-season shows for a number of months now. And <laughs> it is super, super disappointing for us to get to this point. From the moment this thing broke out, I think we've always been optimistic that we've thought, you know, there's going to be enough time here for this to play out, for whatever needs to happen to happen in order for football to happen. It was kind of, thank God, football's not played till the end of August, September. And now we've got to this point, the son of a bitch is still... cannot fit Leonardo DiCaprio on the door. I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling very much like Kate Winslet at the moment on that door. And I'm, I'm holding on to the Big Ten Pac-12, Jack... <laughs> who who are really ice cold and I just have to kind of this is that moment where I'm letting go and they're just kind of like floating to the bottom of the Atlantic so are you saying that Kate Winslet is the SEC ACC and Big 12 is she is big enough saying? she is big enough ooh um, but no like as I was saying this this is really disappointing because we are not going to get to see a whole bunch of stars play college football again. Like that, that realization needs to set in. You, you've got dudes that I was really looking forward to. You were really looking forward to play this year. Like, uh, Justin Fields, awesome last year, superstar team around him, looking like they were set. He's not going to play college football again. Even if they go move to the spring, which is best case scenario, there's no way any of these top stars who are projected first round draft picks are going to play at that time. They're going to be preparing for the draft, and and that makes sense. That you can't hold that against them. Rondale Moore and Rashad Bateman had already said that they weren't playing this year. Uh, Pat Fromuth at Penn, yeah, at Penn State. State. He's a yep. he's a beast. I was looking forward to see what he could produce this year. Not going to get that opportunity now. You know, Penny Sual. Penny Sual. Yeah. Nailed it again. <laughs> the one thing is, I'm not going to have to say his name so many times. So, you know. Well, he's what like a redshirt sophomore, and also he's... projected top five pick. Yeah. Like sound, I know you love sitting down and just watching what an O lineman does across I a game. To, dude, I love just chewing that tape. 
you dial down into that. You're not going to get that chance. You're not going to get that chance. I'm not. I'm not. There's there's some superstars on the defensive side as well. Javon Holland out of Oregon. Uh, Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons, favourite of mine at Penn State. Penn like, State. my well, God. There's one, and then there's a big one that I'm missing out on. That's Greg Rousseau, who could land anywhere from five to ten. Um, Chase Young-esque. Obviously not quite in that vein, but very few are. Um but has you know finished second in the nation in sacks last year as a redshirt uh, sophomore, redshirt freshman maybe. Yep. Um, and he is just a weapon. They played him inside. They played him outside. He can do it all. His power. He's got speed. He is one of the very few players like Chase Young last year that makes college football look really easy. <laughs> and when you're doing that. Uh, like who else used to do that? Miles Garrett used to do that. Saquon Barkley used to do that. And it Von becomes Miller. In, uh, who's that? Sorry, Lamar, Von yeah, Miller. Lamar Jackson. Although they've got Lamar someone Jackson. else to fill that little void there in Mikhail Cunningham, but um, it, it becomes and and he was going to be a really really good one. Oh, it still will be at, at, at the next level. So yeah, I mean that is disappointing, but you know. I like I'm I'm going to go to the next level. You've mentioned the Big Ten is being out, so there's two schools in the Big Ten that have said that they voted to play, and that was Iowa and Nebraska. Uh, uh Nebraska, yeah, Nebraska. Correct. Uh, what does that mean for them? Like, should they then be able to move to another conference? Like, do we just kind of throw this whole conference alignment thing in the air for this year and just go, well, hey, you know, Big 12, let's welcome back Nebraska. Didn't you used to have them? I don't know. We did, not that long ago. Yeah, so like, do we just welcome them back? Does Iowa jump across to the Big 12? I mean, that's a logical thing. You've got Iowa State in state, obviously. So why not just lump them in with the Big 12? Look, if I'm making the decisions here, 100% yes. Like, mm. let's do it. Bring it on. Come on down to the Big 12. Let's make it happen. Unfortunately, I'm not making these calls, and I dare say there's a fair bit of legal red tape that would prevent this from happening, unfortunately. The affiliations within, and then the compromises that would need to be made on the financial side of it. Obviously, with reduced uh, ticket revenue from people... You, what you would assume would be reduced numbers of people who could come to games. You would solely be relying on the, the TV deals and then how that works in an instance that it's normally controlled by your conference. If you're then stepping out of your conference and doing your own thing, I don't think they're going to be like, yeah, that's cool. You just you know go get your own money and, and we'll be cool with that. I, I, I just don't see a I mean, scenario where that happens. And this is why I kind of wanted to talk about the financial situation early. And this may completely change the entirety of the landscape of college football. Because if the ACC does run, if the Big 12 runs, and if the SEC runs, and those programs get an eight-game season, a 10-game season is probably a little ambitious, but let's say an eight-game season plus playoffs, they are in line for a huge payday. Now, whilst they won't get the ticket sales, the TV deals that are centered around this will be, if, if playoffs go ahead as well, will be pretty big. But the, the, the TV deals are already set. I mean, that, that stuff's negotiated years in advance. So I don't, they wouldn't be making any more money than they would now. I think the broadcasters would certainly have bumper uh, revenue from people dialing in because I think they would be starved for it and they would get really, really good ratings. But there's less product out there, so there's less games that they can display. Rather than having 50 games on a weekend, they're yeah. only going to have 30. But <laughs> it, you know um, that those playoffs ga- those playoff games, and I'm not entirely sure how this all falls into place. But you know whether playoff games, I don't know how they're divided amongst different teams, but obviously conferences get, there is an equal share revenue at times based on games. And if the viewership is up, I'm not saying that there's necessarily an increased revenue that will occur, but 
you know, there, there is a potential for a, a bit of a payday around these particular conferences. So there is the financial side of it as well. And, and, and what does that cause? Like, let's say that Kansas State all of a sudden, rather than pulling in 15 million of revenue, I don't know, that's probably, un, that's underselling them massively. But let's say all of a sudden they get a $200 million revenue in line with Texas and the big schools. What does that mean for Kansas State football? What does this mean like moving forward if you sit out this one? Is there a risk that, that you know, whilst this power struggle, again, this is why I want to talk about finance, this is why I want to talk about the power struggle in college football. If the money gets to such a point that these schools that stay in and run their season, if that happens, get this big payout, what does that mean moving forward? Is the Pac-12 just out? Does Michigan State miss? Is Purdue now dropped to a uh, a group of five team? Is Indiana going to struggle to maintain the pace with the Big Ten? And do we end up with not five power conferences? Do we end up with just three? Um, I think this has got the potential to shift the very paradigm of college football. Well, while we're talking this too, we need to hold up on the power three because there is another conference out there uh, commonly referred to as the the sixth power five conference, the American. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And uh, they are looking to align themselves behind what the Big 12 are doing. So everything that I'm seeing at the moment seems to be they're following the lead of the Big 12. And that wow. at the moment... Uh, <sighs> To be honest, I'm not overly sure as to why they've they've kind of made that alignment with the Big Twelve. Graphically, I don't know that the American is very spread over the shop. They, they're quite. I mean, the, the big players. For, for those that don't know, the big players in the American, you're looking at. There's a few Florida schools in there. They got you've UCF and uh, USF. You have Houston, Memphis, SMU, Memphis. You've got schools out of Texas. Yep, yep, yep. Cincinnati, a big one. Uh, they have Navy, East Carolina, Tulane, Tulsa, Temple, and Yukon. So you go all the way from like Temple being in Philadelphia. I don't know what I don't know what that's classified as. Not quite the Midwest, but like it's you know Northeast, all the way down to Texas. Yeah, <laughs> you know you've got some very different political, social. Um, viewpoints in that conference as well. So. Correct, correct. But they have an opportunity in this season, if they do go ahead, to really kind of show themselves as uh, that fourth power conference. And hey, if we're having a playoff and it's only going to be eight-game conference slate or whatever it is, let's have the four conference champs go at it. And and give oh, let's not get carried away with that. Give that American champ. That the SEC will not let that happen. You know give that. UCF a chance. <laughs> They're taking a step back this year. Is Mackenzie Milton still there by any chance? He's still running um, around the place. Hopefully his legs all healed up. Okay, so let let's let's say we're going to go into more speculation here. What does this mean for players in the? Let's say that the schools aren't allowed to play. So let's say Nebraska and Iowa aren't allowed to play. But the schools themselves say, you know what? You want to go and play college football. It's your last year. It's your senior year. We're going to release you from your um, scholarship here. Before we go down that path, I think it's just an interesting one to mention that they're still undecided on the extra year of eligibility. And and that's something that's kind of being floated yeah. around. So the Pac-12 have immediately come out and sought an extra year of eligibility for all college athletes uh, who Has are going to be impacted approved? by this. Not yet. So that's that's still pending. So what does it mean then? So say if you've got I don't know who's at Nebraska, Adrian Martinez. Let's say he's like you know what I am a I'm a uh, what would he be? He'd be a sophomore this year from memory. Um, and he's like, you know what? I want to go and play. Um, maybe this is my chance to swing for the fence and make the NFL. And if I have a really good season, I can put myself in a position to be drafted in the top three rounds as a quarterback. Let me go. Let me go to Arkansas. Let me go to Ole Miss. Let me go to Baylor, wherever it might be. Um, 
is that something that should happen? And should colleges be given more space to welcome in some of these guys? Oh, I mean, that's that becomes massive then, doesn't it? If you start opening up the floodgates to say anyone can transfer anywhere uh, for immediate eligibility because... Firstly, you are now all of a sudden sending kids all across the country. Probably shouldn't be. We should be trying to limit our movement as much as possible. They'll wear masks. They'll wear masks. Well, if they're they're wearing masks and they have the hand sanny, then (laughs) let's say they can get past that and start sending them out. Do you know uh, Adrian Martinez is 104 kilos? Did not pick that. (laughs) Well... Jesus, imagine that thing running at you. Oh, like, I, yeah, because he, he, he moves. Um, yeah, he does. I'm going he'll be a junior this year too. But oh, junior, sorry. I think if they do that, it, it has a massive impact all across the shop, obviously, with scholarships that are already offered to players as well. So every time that they're taking on a transfer from someone else, you're potentially taking a scholarship away from someone that you already have within your program. Right, so uh, should the NCAA extend roster sizes? So currently sit at 85 scholarships per year. Should they be throwing out 90 scholarships or should uh, it should be 100 for, for the schools that continue to play? And if they do this retrospectively, is that brutal? And, and, and what's the requirement of the kids? Like, can they go there to play for a year and then come back? Or are they obligated to come back? Or what happens if, you know... I, I, the the one that jumps to mind for me is a very personal thing, but Justin Flo, um, five star linebacker, he was tossing up between Oregon and Miami. He selected Oregon, and Clever. all the power to him. He goes there. Oregon now can't play. If it's like you know what, I'm going to just flip down to Miami for the year, and then in twelve months or not even twelve months time, not eight months time or whatever. Mario Cristobal says, yeah, cool. Like, you can come back. Like, season's on. And he's like, mm, actually, I'm okay with this. Like, Manny Diaz, you know, he's he's all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the Canes. Like, what what are the the requirements around there, do you think, that, that should occur? I, I just don't think this is ever something... This is not something we see. It's, it's not something that would be allowed to take place in the first place. Like, I, I think it would be cool. And from a... From a viewer's standpoint, yeah, all about it. I just don't see how the institutions would ever get on board to allowing this to happen. Uh, I think at the end of the day, the conferences have made these decisions in the interest of the student-athletes' health and that they will bang that drum till the end of time to say we are not releasing these kids to go play elsewhere because what we are doing is in their best interest from a health standpoint. That, that's kind of how I see it playing. I think it would be awesome. I mean, playing local footy here, we have benefited at the club that I play at where uh, one of the regional leagues uh, was cancelled and a couple of players who are uh, friends of, of players on the team or our coaching staff have become available because their league was cancelled. So they've decided to play with us this year and we're smashing teams. Like, these dudes are fucking good. <laughs> and we two of them are slid in the ones, two of them slid in the twos based on the points that we have. So all four of them would be good enough to play in our ones, but we can't fit them in with the points. The other two are like, look, we just want to play football, so we're happy to run around in the twos. Oh, God, now that would be embarrassing. It is like both grades <laughs> undefeated, trashing teams. It's awesome. Like we're benefiting from it, but it's it's kind of really shows that uh, the impact that that sort of thing can have. And I think that you run a real risk of saying, well, you're really saying at that point, if you're allowing players to transfer to play football, you're saying that they're there not as student athletes, but they're there as athletes. Correct. And their studies are irrelevant. And if their studies are irrelevant, then the sport as an amateur thing is also not a thing. It is a professional endeavor. And as a professional endeavor, you need to pay your athletes. And you also need to have a union. And they also need to have a voice. And all these you know, roads that you can head down from that perspective um, are really, really dangerous from a, a college football perspective. But again, that brings me back to, a, you know, we come full circle again and again around the fact that college football exists in a very outdated, a very... Um, historical base 
that perhaps doesn't fit in so well with the culture that we're currently living in at the moment. Yeah. What does this mean then for let's let's take away the recruiting of players that have currently been signed. What about the recruiting for team for players that now want to go and head to uh, Michigan or Wisconsin or you know wherever they're going to head for this particular season? What does this mean for them? Are they just going to be like, well, actually, your program's not as committed to football as what I thought it was, so I'm going to head down to texas tech or i'm gonna head over to florida state or i'm gonna head to syracuse um rather than head to the big 10 which i thought was big on football but actually when push came to shove you weren't i I don't think it's the uh committed to football line that's going to be an issue i think it will be this possibility of an extra year of eligibility because if you have a whole class sticking around an extra year longer then that is bumping you an extra year away from that playing time that you thought you were going to be walking into. So I'm a five-star prospect. I signed at Ohio State knowing full well that eight of those dudes are going to get drafted, another 20 are going to graduate, and that I would be walking into probably a backup spot my freshman year and I'd be starting the, the following year. All of that is now kicked back a year and I'm now behind two guys to start with and then I have to sit an extra year. Whereas if I go to the ACC, if, if I go to the SEC and, and look at Alabama and they're not doing that, all of their players are playing and I don't have that issue, that's all of a sudden becomes more attractive to me as a player to say, well, I don't have to burn a full year because I can still play in an elite program. I can still be in the, have an opportunity to win the national championship, to have all eyes on me in the big games, and I'll be playing that year earlier because I'm not going to have that. So I think that's where the big issue comes into it around this extra year of eligibility and how that plays out. Yeah, and I think on top of that, you need to look at the recruiting hotspots because players can't travel as well. On top of that... Where are the recruiting hotspots? Texas, Louisiana, Florida. The schools in those states, those players can't leave. They can't go and take an official visit to Michigan, Ohio State, wherever. And so therefore they go, well, you know what I know? I know the team that's just around the corner that I've been to 17 times in the last three months. So I'm going I'm to pick FIU. So can they not travel at the moment? Do we know this? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, but it's kind of frowned upon. I mean, it's not happening. Like, they're not getting official visits. Visits on campuses aren't happening because campuses aren't open. So there's no visit to actually experience, and that was su- such a huge part of the recruiting process. And again, coming back full circle to the financial side is what is all this money being spent on in terms of revenue? It's spent on attracting recruits. And that's where this We Are United movement comes from is it's like, well, once we're into the school, how much money actually comes to us? A bit, don't get me wrong. Like we still get awesome training, we get awesome food, we get awesome accommodation, we get all these extra bits and pieces. But really the new stadiums, the new um, practice facilities, the new sleeping quarters, the new dorms, the new all of this is actually geared around recruiting better players to therefore get greater success. So that's what we need to have a look at. Okay, putting you on the spot here. ACC, SEC, Big 12, are they going to happen in the fall go? Yes, I believe they will go ahead with uh, a schedule. I think that they're going to try and hit that 10 plus 1 that they're looking at in the ACC and Big 12. And the SEC will stick with a 10-game schedule. Okay, so with this plus one that you talk about, so the plus one is anything out of conference. Where's this plus one coming from? You've got the independents, so you've got teams like Notre Dame, which, well, actually, I don't have Notre Dame because they're aligned with the ACC, but you've got New Mexico State, you've got BYU, which don't have a natural home. I mean, they probably would have jumped with the Pac-12 or maybe the Mountain West, but they don't have a home now. Where are you going now? Like... What does so, this mean for the independents? So you would still have the American to choose from. Uh, then you would also be looking at potentially the Sun Belt. I'm not sure the status of them at the moment. 
I know the Mountain West and the MAC have both called it quits. Uh, and who am I missing here? Uh, in terms of the group of five conferences? Yes. Uh, who have you said? Mountain West, MAC, Sunbelt, American, and... You should know this. You've won an NCAA title <laughs> from every <laughs> conference. From all of these conferences. Um, Max there, Sunbelt's there. This is good. This is horrifying, actually. Give me give me a school. Give me a school here that could be from... Like, where's UAB? Where are they? Uh, this is horrifying. <laughs> it's I, not good. I thought you were Googling this shit. I was just chewing. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was I was just going to play some more Celine Dion for us. Yeah. Oh, that, well, I thought you were going to go with Enya or something in just a, a similar vein to that. But I was listening um, to Enya earlier. That's... You were listening to Enya? Yeah. Shepherd wait. Moon, great album, by the way. <laughs> Conference USA is the Conference one that we are looking USA. for. Hey, we got there. Um, Middle Tennessee but State. I, I, I believe they are still uh, unknown at this stage. I, I've only heard that the Mountain West and Mac have pulled pins. So there's plenty of schools available for for these plus, plus ones to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm not overly confident on it at this stage. But, I mean, the thing that gives me promise, and I said this at the start of the, the episode, but the thing that gives me promise is that um, Trevor Lawrence has come out and there's a whole bunch of players I mean he's been the the sounding board for a lot of this kind of stuff but there's a lot of players come out and say that we want to play and we want to play for the right reasons and that has kind of buoyed me to believe that the conferences will go ahead and there will be some fall football action what that will look like I've got ex- you know absolutely no idea uh, maybe they've got to increase roster sizes. Maybe they've got to, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is there. They're going to test people all the time. But I, I think getting these these guys playing is, is a real positive on more than just the financial front, on more than just the exposure front and the NFL front. It's It's such a good thing for these guys to be doing what they love and what they're passionate about and, and give them an opportunity to to move forward in a world that's so uncertain um and you know what as a young i have been a young male before once and a long time ago was a long time ago uh, but having some consistency in your life is, is a real positive for these guys and you know if, if that means they're doing school a little bit on site a little bit off site but they can play some football go your hardest and and I hope that happens now. Are there consequences of that? Sure. Like, again, the entirety of NC State's defense could be wiped out by coronavirus. And if that's the case, they pull the pin. But they gave it a shot, and they're not going to die wondering. Um, if Oklahoma State's quarterback room just gets shredded, and they've got to start a defensive end who played quarterback in high school, then so be it and let that dude get crushed and have both his famous snapped i don't really care at this point. well it's pretty much lynn bowden last year right well yeah or maryland like a few years ago when they were starting a freshman middle linebacker at quarterback so i mean it does happen and, and there is a safety element to it but i think that will be managed well i think people are going to be conservative about it that if teams get in such a state that they can't field a team of 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 players safely then they shouldn't, and that's okay. Um, but give them a crack. Um, let the boys play. Exactly right. I mean, these these kids work hard. We think about it that you know it's it's a sport for our enjoyment. These guys are only doing it because they want to make it to the NFL and get paid, and that's just not the case. That is a small minority of kids where that is going to be the case. For most of them, it is something that they have worked almost all of their life towards to get to this point like from peewee football through to high school football and the grind and early morning gym sessions tour days all the stuff that they put in there is part of being in a team atmosphere but also so that they can play to the best of their abilities at the highest level possible and for those lucky enough they got a div one football scholarship and then now they've, they've kind of made it here 
And those guys train their ass off. I know they're only allowed to get, what is it, 20 contact hours a week, but they're living in the gym. And these gym sessions are five in the morning before classes start because they still have that. Uh, they're then training in the afternoon. They're, they're doing this and that. They're studying film, studying playbooks. All of that sort of stuff is not, for most kids, with that goal of going on to the NFL. It's because they want to play at this level and they want to win at this level and they want to buy into it. So if if we can see that and, and these kids get to achieve that, then that's a really, really good outcome. Uh, I mean, it may be a little selfish from Aaron because we just want to consume it as, you know, our uh, enjoyment, but it still stands. These guys love the sport. They love to play it. I know if you or I were in the same position, you know, dial it back 10, 15 years now, and uh, given that, we'd be, we'd be thinking the exact same thing. We'd be pushing to, to try and get out there because it's what we love to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. And you've you've said that, but I think that does get missed and that and that a lot of people play sport for the right reasons. They they're competitive and they want to be successful and they want to have a crack at it. And that's what we want to see as well. All right. Well, I mean, Will is saying SEC, ACC and Big Twelve are gonna push on and they are going to have season twenty twenty. What I mean, what, I mean, I, I must warn you though. This is the guy who, in January, when there were the first spatterings of news around this virus coming out of China, that I was like, "What a cold in China's got us worried." Yeah, good one. <laughs> Not my finest moment to have on record there. <laughs> well, at least you've uh, worn that, which is impressive. Mm. So that's good. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that, I guess that does bring us to the end of this. Um, you know, we, we've discussed a lot of different points here and, and ultimately we want whatever's best for the players. I think that sometimes also gets lost on areas. We want what's best for the players. It's very easy for us to say at a distance, oh, we want them to play and sacrifice themselves for our in amusement and enjoyment. But really, we want them to, to have an experience that they can look back on in, in very fond and positive ways. So. so while you're rounding this one out here, mate, I think mm-hmm. uh, at the moment we've been a bit ad hoc with how we've been going about it. it it's all a bit all over the shop at the moment. Well, and we're, we're just following the general curve of society at the moment. So. E- exactly right. And there's, you know, things are changing all the time. We, we want to break the news as and when's available, but... It would be really good to hear from any listeners out there. Hit us up on Twitter or on Instagram. I'm sure you follow us if you are listening. Just send us a direct message and show us the sorts of things that you would want us talking about uh, during this period. So depending on what happens in the coming weeks and, and if we do get what looks to be a concrete start date, we're certainly going to get into our conference previews, but we're also really keen to hear from people out there what they want to what they want to be hearing about. What are the things that you would like us to be breaking to you? Because at the moment, we're both just kind of flying by the seat of our pants. Is that a saying? Yeah, I mean, are you wearing pants? That would be a... Not today. <laughs> Not today. Also, just on that, you've fucking got into my area here you you know you're starting to spruik twitter and instagram I, like i feel like throughout this whole process for the last few years that's been my jam like i, I do the spruiking and socials and our numbers reflect that unfortunately so that's why i'm thinking <laughs> i might need to get involved help get those numbers up yeah, a little you bit can fucking take the reins if you want go your hardest <laughs> but please do hit us up on twitter and on instagram at cfb down under will fail to mention that one uh, but yeah, they already do get. Do. Hey, they already do. Anyone listening to uh, the ba- fifty minutes plus of this episode here is a diehard fan. We appreciate I mean, it, actually, and we know I, you already follow it. And as much as like some of this shit is pretty deep, and it, you know, could it be CRISPR? And we could talk about different news articles, and you know, really start previewing programs. Sure, we could, but like fuck that's not what's going on right now like this is fresh hot off the press and this is the stuff that we need to address right now so uh if you don't like it thanks for the download and get fucked um (laughs) if you please do tell your friends and relatives and other human beings that you come in contact with around uh, our podcast we are trying to you know make a bit of noise in this space particularly for australians 
get to get people on the show. We know college football has got its um, tentacles starting to weave into Australian culture and society, and and we want to continue to build that. So please make sure you do mention this to all your friends, family, and otherwise related people. Or if you've just got you know a piece on the side, let them know as well. Um, side pieces welcome. Side pieces welcome always. Uh, I guess that brings us to the end. We'll be back doing this. I, I, well, there'll be more news within a week's time, so we'll be back in a week, I would suggest. William? Yes, sir. Okay, on behalf of that guy up there in the Adelaide Hills, Will Murden, on behalf of myself here sitting down on the plains, uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.